everyone, welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs, the series where I break down a bit of the Bible to get you to look at it more. In this episode, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Last episode, we looked at the first eight verses of Matthew 12, and this episode, we'll look at more than eight verses, uh, if only slightly more than eight verses, but we'll go a little bit further than we did last time. Let's look at the next few verses there. You know, we're going into a section... This, this narrative section continues. We've got one last chapter before we hit the midpoint of the book, which in a 28-chapter book, the midpoint of the book is chapter 13. Don't bother doing the math on that because it doesn't quite add up, but from a theme standpoint, it sure makes sense. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to chapter 13. But we're going into the narrative right before this section. And see, Jesus has... If I'm remembering correctly, I believe this is the first encounter that Jesus has had with these Pharisee-type people, uh, starting in verse 1 there. that The Pharisees in chapter 12, they come up to him and they start questioning him. I think this is the first encounter he's had with them. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure about that, so... Uh, I'm, I hope I'm not misremembering something. But he runs across these people, or he runs across them again, whichever it may be, and they, they make a simple statement, right? Your disciples are doing something that's not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. To which Jesus says, yeah, well, have you actually read the book that you claim to read? You claim to be experts in the law. Have you actually read what David did? Have you actually read the law of Moses that tells you that priests break the Sabbath too? Have you actually read the book of Hosea? Right? And so now we have history named that Jesus questions their knowledge of. Jesus questions their knowledge of the law and the prophets. And he ultimately says, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I made this thing so I know what it's for and you don't. So don't question me, okay? And then he leaves. And, and we said last time, you know, this is kind of a harsh statement, maybe, a harsh idea to go after the Pharisees so much, but these are the people who should have known him. These Pharisees are the people who, who should know who the Messiah is, who should know who this Jesus is, who he claims to be, and yet even though, even if they do know, which they seem not to, but once they do know, they're going to choose to reject it anyway. They're not the right type of person. They don't have good hearts. And so, of course, Jesus is going to condemn that, and it's going to be a little bit harsher than when he speaks to the people who don't know him, who shouldn't necessarily be aware of who he is, like in chapter 11. So let's move on. Uh, let's look at chapter 12, starting in verse 9, and uh, we'll see a couple different stories here, or, or not really stories, maybe, but a couple different instances where Jesus does things. Starting in chapter 12 of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, Who among you? If he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out. A person is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. So Jesus here does something very interesting. You know, he, he has faced his enemies, the Pharisees, and he has fought them. He's won. 
And, and so they've decided to leave him alone for the moment. Either they left or he leaves them. I'm not sure which way it goes. Um, the text doesn't really indicate in a specific way. But he moves on, and instead of instead of you know defending himself, instead of going somewhere where he's more comfortable, no, he goes into their synagogue. Did you catch that? In verse nine, he entered their synagogue. He's not about to go and hide from these people. He's not about to go and get out of their way. No, he's making himself even more of an issue for the Pharisees. The Pharisees should know who he is. The Pharisees shouldn't be questioning that God has the right to determine what the Sabbath is, and yet they are. Jesus is going to correct that even more so, and so he moves into the area. He goes into their synagogue. He goes into their seat of power. And so before, you know, the Pharisees came out to see Jesus in some random field somewhere. They didn't have power. They didn't have confidence, and Jesus shook them from that. Well, now they're back at home. They've got this home court advantage. They're in their element. They, they are, uh, you know, secure. And so they feel like they can question him. And instead of a statement, right, instead of the statement back in verse two, no, they're questioning him. And they say, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And we could read that as a legitimate question, or we could note the phrase right before that, that uh, the Matthew puts in there, in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, what do you think the Pharisees are really trying to do here? Do they care what Jesus is saying? No, not really. They just want to catch him in something. They don't care uh, who Jesus is. They don't care the rules he's setting. They just want to condemn him with something. And so they say, hey, here's an opportunity. We got a guy with a withered hand, a guy with a disabled limb, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. Hey, we can, we can, we can do something with this. Can you heal Jesus? Are, are you allowed to do that? Is that legal for you to do on the Sabbath day? Well, that's the question that he has to answer. And he does answer it. You see that in verse 11. He does answer it. But he answers it maybe not in the way that you would expect. Because, you know, it's is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's kind of a yes or no question. That's kind of a question where you can say, yeah, it's lawful to heal, or no, it's not lawful to heal. And it's pretty obvious what the answer would be. But Jesus doesn't answer like that. No, he doesn't. He doesn't say, yes, it is, and then enforce his will, because that's against the tradition of the Pharisees. And he doesn't say, no, it's not, and leave this man condemned. No, it's neither of those. You know what he says? He says, hey, think about what you all do. Think about what you do in your life. You have an animal that falls into a pit. Is it lawful for you to pull it out? You're asking me if it's lawful to heal somebody. Is it lawful for you when you go and seek to benefit yourself, right? Your animal falls into a pit and they're stuck there. You say, oh, it's fine to take that animal out. I want to benefit myself. I want to get something out of it. I want to rescue my animal. Isn't it much more lawful to want to rescue a human being? Because last time I checked, humanity's a little bit better than the animals. God put us over them. That's in Genesis. That's in the very beginning. God put us in dominion over them. We are better than they are. And so why? Why? Do you see what the Pharisees are doing? They violate Sabbath to save creatures 
but they don't violate the Sabbath to help other people. And one of those is a little bit more important than the other one, because saving creatures really ultimately isn't that important. I understand there's an argument to be made for treating them well from Proverbs, and I agree with that, but humanity is a little bit better than just some animals. And so why would you violate Sabbath to save animals but not be willing to violate Sabbath to save people created in the image of God? Do you see the little, little bit of the double standard that the Pharisees have? Because Jesus does. Wouldn't you save a sheep? then why wouldn't you save a human? A person is worth far more than the sheep. So yeah, it's lawful on the Sabbath. He doesn't answer with, yes, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath. You know what he says? It's lawful to do good, right? It's lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Jesus is not benefiting himself. He's not healing just to heal. He's not even doing this just to get on the Pharisees' nerves. He's doing something that is good. And that's the distinction. The Pharisees are not, and yet they justify themselves. Jesus is, and yet the Pharisees condemn him. You know, it's really like when the Pharisees said, hey, David is wonderful, and he must have been right, when obviously he broke the commandment of the Lord. We talked about that a long time back in verse 3 in the last episode. So I'm not going to run over that again, but they're doing that same idea twice over. Jesus is not having it either time. And so he commands this man. He says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches it out and it is healed. Now I want to take a brief aside here and, and talk about an idea. Now, I don't think I've mentioned this before, not in the recordings or the, the, the series, whatever this thing is that you want to call it, a podcast of some sort, I guess. That's what people typically refer to it to, so sure, why not? Um, but I don't think I've talked about it before in this. I've talked about it, and I'm teaching Matthew uh, uh, on a weekly basis, and so I've started talking about it more and more in that group, but I don't think I've been talking about it on here. I don't know much Greek. Right, but what Greek, I, I took a year of it, and what it did teach me is that you should just really slow down when you read the Bible, because when you slow down, a whole lot more stuff shows up. And, and so the idea is just read slower, read more carefully, and you can do that in English as well as in Greek. Now there's a, there's a really cool thing that some of the New Testament writers do. One of the things I did learn in Greek is that sometimes when... When telling a story, and here's the best brief explanation of this I can give, sometimes when telling a story, they will tell it in the past tense because, you know, it happened in the past. Jesus went somewhere. He healed someone. He traveled to a location. The crowds came to him, and he healed them. You hear all of that being in the past tense because it's something that did happen. Well, Occasionally, the stories will go something like this. Jesus went somewhere. He healed a bunch of people. People came to him. People learned from him. He spoke to them, and he says something really important, and he spoke to them, and he healed them, and they were made well, 
or something like that. And, and there's one, maybe two instances where the writer of the gospel, at least in Matthew and Mark, I'm pretty sure in Luke as well, but at least in Matthew and Mark, the writer of the gospel will switch from being strictly in the past tense to writing something in the present tense. What does that mean? It means that we would read, we would read this kind of stuff and be struck by one word being out of place. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus says, Jesus said, Jesus said, right? There's something different about that one instance of says, and it brings attention to it. We don't translate it that way in the English. We translate it all in the past tense because that's how we would naturally read it. But for nice Bibles like the New American Standard, which is one that I typically study out of, that marks it. It's interesting. If you have a New American Standard, in the, in the Gospels at least, whenever there's a star, an asterisk or a star in front of a word, that means it's in the present tense. And it's typically in front of a verb. I think it's exclusively in front of a verb, probably. And it's interesting in this story, here's what it all comes down to. It's interesting in this story, the present tense, right? The emphasis of this story, it's not on where Jesus went. It's not on who Jesus healed. It's not on the Pharisees questioning him. It's not on Jesus answering them. The present tense is in verse 13, then he told the man, or rather it should say, then he tells the man, stretch out your hand. The emphasis of the story is not on something that Jesus taught, is not on an idea that Jesus put forth. It's not on the, the difficulty Jesus had to wrestle with, with how to answer this question. It's not about that. It's not about the man himself. The emphasis of this is on Jesus's command. Stretch out your hand. And then when he does it, everything works out just fine. I may have explained that well. I may not have explained that well. If I need to, um, I can come back around and talk about it in a later recording. So just let me know on that. The emphasis here is on what Jesus says. Jesus has the authority to command. And so even when he walks into the opposing, right, into the Pharisees' synagogue, even when he walks into that opposing religion's viewpoint, he can still command, and it still happens just as he said it's going to happen. Because that's the power that Jesus has. He tells the man to do something, and the man does it. And that healing works out just perfectly fine. By just Jesus's word, he restores something to what it was. He makes something good again, and he, he makes it match with everything else. It's interesting that that same idea is present in the creation story, where with just a word, God creates the world, God fixes everything to what it should be, and God makes it match with everything else. So, I'll leave that thought there. I don't know how far to take that, but uh, it's there if you want to think about it. Now, at the end of this, at the end of this in verse 14, just a brief mention here, and we'll come back around to it at the end and talk about this a little bit more. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. 
that's verse 14. You know, the Pharisees are not very happy about this thing happening. The Pharisees are not very happy that Jesus, he wouldn't just stay out in the fields, right? But he came into their synagogue. He came into the seat of their power, and he disrupts their goings-on. He, he disrupts their ceremonies or whatever they're getting up to. He disrupts that with something that God sent, and that's not okay. Firstly, that gives you an insight into who the Pharisees are and what they're thinking about. But I also think it's an, it's an important idea that this is their synagogue, right? This is not God's synagogue. This is not a synagogue where God is, except when Jesus walks into it to uh, correct those who are running it. This is about the Pharisees. This is not about God. And so be careful how you, how you view church that you go to. Is that your church or is that God's church that y'all take part of? There's a certain way to express it. This is my church that I go to. Um, but there's a certain process, a thought process, that could be detrimental if you, if you take it too far. The Pharisees have the wrong mindset there. They want to kill Jesus, and they will ultimately accomplish that in the future, about 15 chapters or so later. We'll, we'll look at that story when we come to it. So we'll come back to a couple of these ideas at the end, but let's look at 15. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. A large crowd followed him, and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known, so that what, he, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. Until he has led justice to victory, the nations will put their hope in his name. And so here we have just the, the basic, um, the, the starting point for this little story. I'm hesitant to call that a story because it's not, there's not much that happens. There is a lot that happens, but there's not much that happens. Right, uh, but Jesus is aware of this. What is this? The uh, the Pharisees hating him and wanting to kill him, and so he gets out. He he goes somewhere else. Now, there's there's an idea that was popular at least when I was growing up. I was always taught this that um, Jesus can read minds, right, and, and Jesus can just instantly know what anybody's thinking. And I think there are a couple instances in which that's fair, and that is what that looks like. But we can take that idea too far, and I'm not sure that idea is actually accurate. I haven't thought about it enough to be um, confident of. But people would, would see stuff like this. Jesus is aware of this. They know He knows what they're thinking. And so, of course, he can read minds. He knows everything about them. Well, um, you know, if a lot of people hate you and then you come into their their house right where they're supposed to be authoritative you take all of that away you take away their life work you insult them you make fun of them in front of everybody else you prove them wrong um and then you wonder and, and then you, you you wonder why they don't like you right can't can't you tell isn't there some amount of i don't know just just natural human observation that would allow you to tell that they don't like you very much 
And when they all start giving you dirty looks and then all start nudging each other and head out to another room, you know that something bad's about to happen, you know? And, and so I think, you know, this is just a an instance of Jesus being aware of this, like like we humans can be aware of things and heading out. I'm not sure you can argue for Jesus's uh, mind reading. That's not telekinesis, but you know, uh, Jesus's mind reading capabilities from this. I don't think that's a valid argument. I could be swayed potentially. I'd, I'd have to think about that more. And so um, I'll leave that there for now and y'all can just think about it. You know, I have a lot of questions and I don't always have the answer. And that is perfectly all right. Because whether or not Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking, you know, he still does the same action. He still leaves, large crowds still follow him, and he still healed them. It's the same outcome, regardless of the little minutia in the story. And so, thankfully, the Bible is written in such a way that you can still tell what's going on. Now, what is he doing this for, right? Crowds followed him, and he just healed them all. But he also warns them not to tell who he is maybe that's a reaction to verse 14 maybe it is i don't really know and i'm not going to hazard a guess on it because honestly it, it doesn't seem to uh, matter much he warns some people not to make him known he also warns some people to talk about him and ultimately he's going to be made known to everyone anyway it's just not at the proper time yet evidently but why ultimately does all of this happen, right? Crowds follow him. He heals them all. Why does he heal them? It's because there's a prophecy about it. And so if you go back and look at Isaiah 42, you're going to see these words. Isaiah 42, uh, 1 through 4, I believe it is. This is the first servant's song in Isaiah. There are about four of them culminating in the most famous one, Isaiah, the tail end of chapter 52 and Isaiah 53. Right, the, the famous passage about who the suffering servant is. Well, this is the first one of the songs about who the servant is, who this individual is. And I think the point here really is that God's bringing someone unique. God's bringing something entirely unique. He says, here's my servant, right? He's had those before. My servant whom I have chosen. Yeah, he's chosen people before. Think about like Moses even. Uh, very much chosen people. My beloved in whom I delight, that gets a little bit more specific, but you could still argue God delighted in people before. I will put my spirit on him. Now there's a, there's another little thing there. There's another idea that could be more specific. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. That doesn't typically happen. And then you get this one in verse 19. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. Okay, think about that. How many people, how many people in these leadership positions, right, if you're proclaiming justice to the nations, firstly, how many people do that? A lot of times they'll, in like good leaders proclaim justice, but really to the nations? I don't think you even have biblical examples of that happening. I could be wrong on that, um, but if so, they are few. But, but someone who doesn't argue or shout, right? Where is that in the Bible? How many people are not argumentative? How, how many people do you think just don't fight? 
And it's very interesting to look at our leaders nowadays. You know, I live in America, and uh, the presidential debates are quite something to watch, but I would not say they're necessarily good. And I would definitely not say that verse 19 describes anything about them. Think about our leaders, whatever nation you're a part of. Do they not argue and not shout? I'm pretty sure they do to some extent. And so this, this character is very unique, right? Where, where is there a leader who can proclaim justice, not just to his nation, but to all nation, but also be at peace? Where is this idea? Where is this balance? And you find it in Jesus. Now, the, now it might seem contradictory. I just thought of this. It might seem contradictory. He will not argue or shout. Well, what was he just doing with the Pharisees? Um, he wasn't really arguing because they didn't answer him. <laughs> they can't answer him. They never can. And so he doesn't have to argue with them. He's not even shouting at them. He's just saying, hey, y'all need to be not hypocrites. And he's correcting them in righteousness. There's a difference there. And so we're talking about this Jesus character, this, this person who's come in, who's upsetting the social norms, and you wonder why everything's so different with him. You wonder why everything has changed. It's because... He's different. He's unique. God's creating something unique in this servant. Isaiah prophesied about it, and Jesus is fulfilling all of it. And at the end, he has led justice to victory in verse 20. The nations will put their hope in his name. He'll have proclaimed justice to the nations back up in the end of verse 18 there. Jesus is going to the nations. Now, if you remember chapter 10, that wasn't where they were sent, right? The apostles were specifically sent not to the nations, but Jesus is going to change that ultimately. It'll be a few chapters yet. It'll be a, it'll be a while yet, a year or two, or I, I don't know how long, but the nations are going to come in, and that is inevitable. Now, you look at verse 20 as well. There's, a, there's an interesting idea, a detail in verse 20. Um, I might as well bring it up. I might as well address it. I'm not exactly sure what it means. He won't break a bruised reed. He won't put out a smoldering wick, something that's about to die, that's threatening to die, but Jesus is not going to kill it until he's led justice to victory, until he's successfully put forth justice, some versions might say. Um, so, so what's going on there? I think especially in the context in which Matthew is using this, what is the smoldering wick, a wick that's sputtering and trying to stay alive even though it's inevitably going to die? Well, think about what the Pharisees are arguing for. Think about the Pharisees' um, ideas and their work that they're trying to put forth. Hey, wh why do you misuse the Sabbath day? Well, did he? No. Are, are you allowed to heal on the Sabbath day? Well, yes. Of course he is. Of course, that, that's what the Sabbath day is for. It's for freedom. It's for goodness to happen, not for your own selfishness to be propagated. Of course he can heal on the Sabbath day. Doesn't that sound like a sputtering wick to you, right? A smoldering wick, a bruised reed, something that is not going to live for long, but it's really, really trying? I think he's talking about... Judaism. But remember, Jesus, back in the Sermon on the Mount, 
right back in Matthew chapter 5, I, did, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And so Jesus is not going to break this. And he's not going to stop the old law until he's led justice to victory. And then the nations will put their hope in his name, which happens at his death and his resurrection when all nations are allowed to start entering in. Jesus is going to get rid of it. Not yet, but he will ultimately. And so I think that detail's in there at the end. I think that's an interesting way to look at things. And I wonder if, I wonder who got it and who understood at that time. Okay, so I, I know this hasn't been the most coherent episode. I'm I'm scatterbrained today, but uh, that's okay. I want to start doing something. I, I did it last episode. I did it a while ago, like once, maybe twice, but, uh, but I want to start doing it more consistently. And that is when we read something, it's not just an academic study, but there's also something practical in it. And so I want to start uh, pulling a couple of ideas and like one or, or two or three ideas from what we read, what we looked at, and just bringing them out at the end to emphasize them a little bit. I have two for today, both taken from the first story. Uh, it's a little bit more practical than the second one, which is mainly just an Old Testament quotation. You know, but I, I, I want to think about these two ideas from the first few verses we looked at. Look back at verse 13. You know, Jesus, he told the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other one. Uh, if, if you were able to get through what I was saying earlier... Uh, he, he tells the man, right? The emphasis is on what Jesus says, what Jesus commands. And then, as soon as you start following Jesus' commands, everything works out. And everything's okay. And it gets restored. It does just what it's supposed to do. You know, I think if we as people just kept always following Jesus and kept on doing his commands, things would probably work out a little bit better than they typically do, right? Because we as people, we're so willful that we just don't obey often. Jesus has commanded something and we just don't do it. You know, if Jesus said, stretch out your hand to this guy and he just didn't stretch out his hand, do you think he would have been healed? I don't think so. And so a pretty basic lesson, but I mean, how many times do we still forget what it is. The, the idea is follow Jesus. He has the authority to command. He has the right to do it. You need to follow him. And when you do, things work out. Now, does that mean your life is going to be perfect and everything is just going to be uh, peachy? No, it's not going to be. Right? It's not going to be like that. It's not going to be easy. But here's the principle. When you follow Jesus, everything works just as it's supposed to. His hand became restored as good as the other one does that mean his hands were perfect no but it means it works just like it's supposed to and and so i think we can take that idea here's the other thing here's your other application so that was a positive one get ready for a negative one um i i say often don't be like the pharisees and in verse 14, especially, I think this is a good idea because, whoo, man, these Pharisees are not very good. Don't be like them. Don't plot and kill somebody because we know ultimately where this story is going. 
Right? We know ultimately what's going to happen to Jesus is that he is going to be killed by the Pharisees. Um, so don't be a Pharisee. Don't kill Jesus. And, and don't kill other people, too. That's probably a good lesson to learn. If you don't know that already, uh, you probably should. But uh, that's not the extent. And that's not the only thing we're supposed to pay attention to. No, I, I want to ask the question, do we ever react like the Pharisees react? Right, look at verse 14. The Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Do you ever react like the Pharisees react? What am I talking about? Of course we don't kill people. I, well, I hope. Right? I don't kill people. But do I, ever, do I ever dislike somebody? Do I ever hate somebody? Did Jesus have something to say about us as Christians hating other people? You know, you know, um, it's back in Matthew 5. It's back in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't, uh, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, but I say to you, don't hate your brother. Because that's basically just murdering him in your heart. I, I told you, don't hate people. Make peace with them. Do you think what the Pharisees are doing is making peace? It's most assuredly not they harbor a hatred for jesus they dislike him they want to go against everything he does and so their answer is to firstly hate him and secondly to go out from him and conspire against him it's not as direct of a parallel but i want you to think about this not just hatred but here's a specific application of it i see this way too much in, in people that I know, and in even decently good people that I know, this idea of, of character assassination. I believe that's an official term. I hope I'm using it in the right way. I might not be. Um, but here's where I'm going with this. You know gossip? Right? You ever get in a situation where people just start talking bad about other people? and tearing them down. Those other people aren't there to defend themselves, and you just kind of listen to it. You hate your brother. You've gone out, and you are conspiring against him. Maybe not to physically murder him, right? Maybe not to physically remove him, but you're at least putting in everyone's minds the ideas of hatred, the ideas of dismissing this person, the ideas of just being against this person. That is in no way something that Christians are supposed to take part in. It, it's just not. And so this idea, we don't associate these two, right? We don't associate making fun of people and, and uh, saying, oh, I don't like them very much with the idea of killing. But when you think about it, the connection's probably a lot closer than we typically give it credit for. And so take that into consideration. Be wise in how you speak and how you conduct yourself towards especially your brethren, but really towards everyone. Don't be like the Pharisees. And it's a whole lot easier to be like the Pharisees than it may seem at first glance. Thanks for listening. I hope, you've, I hope it's benefited you and that you've potentially even enjoyed it. Um, whichever combination of those is probably a good thing. Thanks for listening. I hope that you got something out of this. 
I know that uh, especially this episode was not the most coherent. I said that before. I'm saying it again. Um, I don't think my thoughts chained together as well as I wanted them to. And so because of that, and because we also touched on a couple maybe more significant questions, uh, if you've got questions, don't leave those unanswered. And please don't misunderstand me. So if you think I'm saying something, but you're not sure about it, um, let me know. And I can clarify that for you. I, I, I've got a couple ideas for episodes I might do to try and expand some of the ideas that I might have touched on that need some more more uh, talking on, and maybe that'll make sense to you. But I need to know if somebody needs that explained. So if you got questions, by all means, let me know. If you got input of, of any sort, um, let me know. I want to do what's what's best for people and what people can understand. And so uh, if you need my email, it should be in the description of this series, but it's, it's, um, it's biblicalbreadcrumbs at gmail.com. That is the, uh, the name of the show, and then at gmail.com. Send me a message, and I'll be glad to respond to it. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've benefited from it. I know that I have. It makes sense to me, even if it didn't make sense to you. So uh, thanks for listening. I hope to see you on the next episode of Biblical Breadcrumbs.